Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Born in Spain with a Spanish father and a mother from Peru, Gons Ferrero grew up in the midst of Buenos Aires, Argentina. Despite growing up in a highly urban area, he eventually found his way into the mountains. Follow along in this interview that will take you through investment banking and project leading solar parks in Spain to starting a big media company in Shanghai. Through the Himalayan mountains, aiding nuns in the Andes, winter seasons in the Alps, to finally end up at a pizzeria in Duved Ora. Today, Gons Fredo is the CEO of the almost mysterious brand Klettermusen, with a history that spans for more than 40 years. My name is Magnus Ormestad and this is episode 33 of the international series of the Swedish outdoor podcast Husky. Husky is made possible thanks to Naturkompaniet. If you want to know more about this episode and the previous ones, head over to huskypodcast.com. You can also follow Husky on Facebook and Instagram at the handle huskypodcast. So how has 2020 been so far? Life and business during COVID-19. It's been a I think it's it's been a roller coaster so far for sure. Um on the personal side, um it's been um you know we've had actually an unfortunate uh, death in the family actually a few months ago so that was added on top of sort of everything else. But I think even on the professional side, I think that line has been blurred, you know, since everyone started working from home. And, um, <clears throat> so I mean, it maybe almost, we're almost out of the other end. So I think with a bit of retrospection, it's been educational year for sure. Um, humbling and also somehow, um, you know, we've, we've sort of armed ourselves with some of the lessons we were taking away. But I mean, when we were in January, I don't think we expected any of it. When we were in February, even when we were in March, we expected it um, to be like this. And uh, 
I, I, I think we, me and many, if not all business, uh, business uh, owners or CEOs are in the same boat right now where we just have no visibility. And that's a strange feeling to operate under. Right? It's kind of um, trial by fire, sort yeah. of. And it was just simple. I mean, we are in a, we're in a relatively simple business. You know, it's two seasons, you know, and sort of it repeats itself twice a year. Um, and, you know, and you, some, some of the orders here are pre-ordered and some are, there's an element of surprise or, or, um, that you always buffer in. But at this point, you know, for, for the season we are in now, of autumn, winter 20, we've no idea if the slopes are going to be open, if we're, are we going to be able to travel, if the shops will, you know, usually it's just a question of, is it going to be a good winter or not? Um, that we can manage, but, um, it's, it's testing. At the same time, you know, there's, they say you should never let a good crisis go to waste, and that's been kind of a bit of a ethos internally in the company as well. This is a a huge question now, of course, but the the effects on society that you see coming from the COVID nineteen crisis. I mean, you you yeah. are you are especially interesting because you are not you are kind of multinational, so you're you have a a different perspective, I think. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, if I sort of, if I remove myself a little bit and try to leave my personal opinion or bias, but I think what you definitely see is that in, in, in general, people have become a little bit more, um, conscious of each other. Uh, and, and, you know, and that's in some aspects that's coming out in positive ways. Like, okay, we, you know, are the people in my community need help? Um, do I, you know, should I go shopping for elder? Do I, that, I think that had been, we had been going through many years of where that was disappearing. So now everyone's looking around, meeting their neighbors, seeing who their neighbors are in a, in a better, in a better way, I think. Um, but at the same time, we were also looking more inward. Um, you know, and you, we were talking about that before with, Countries shutting down borders and not, you know, not being to coordinate. That, that's been a bit disappointing for everybody. Um, I think so. Um, bittersweet, bittersweet. Um, for, from an outdoor perspective or from nature perspective, I think that's been fantastic to see that trends that in, that we had identified or let's say we even relied on, uh, have been accelerating, uh, over the last few months, right? People, all of a sudden don't want to go to Ibiza. They want to go, you know, hiking the King's trail. Exactly. Or doing the Jamalan <laughs> triangle or something. Yeah. And that's super. I yeah. mean, I, I hope that never goes away. Um, we had, you know, my generation, our generation, we, you know, for us as kids, it was a huge treat to get on an airplane and go somewhere. Um, and then when we start having money and stuff, then that's all we can do with our free time. So I think hopefully the generation that, you know, that we were so afraid that was so into social media and so digital and TikTok and, uh, maybe those guys are now seeing the value of those experiences. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to the value of having many experiences. Yeah. Um, and going from something, I mean, mo we, we live most of our lives very, you know, very abstract. Our work is often very abstract. Yeah, we, yeah. we, the, the, the products are no longer physical products. It's very uh, abstract <laughs> digital products. And a lot of our, um, 
uh, interaction and and, and uh, activities are also very digital and very abstract. So and 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 now we we see a lot of people uh, looking back and 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 going back to the simple stuff like having a sandwich out in the forest and a cup of coffee. Yeah, uh, and that's of course very good. Uh, if you you know, I was looking at this for for tax reasons, actually. But all the all the flights that I took last year, uh, or last summer, and all the flights I took this summer, which was basically none, um, and then you, you immediately, you know, I I can immediately tell you what I was doing last year was completely non, um, you know, non sustainable. Not just from an ecological point of view, but just from like a lifestyle perspective. And I think so many people. Had you know were in that wheel, um, you know, and and now are not, and and I hope that's you know at least uh, speaking about me. But I think in general people are not going to go back all the way. Right? We might find a new in between point where the pendulum swings back a little bit, but in general I I think people have a better perspective mm-hmm. of what it is they want, how they need to balance, how they want to balance. And feel a little bit more empowered to do that as well, right? Um, taking, you know, working from home or taking a video call with your kids in the background, I think that was a big no, uh, even in, even in Sweden, I would say, um, a year ago. And now it's standard. Know, standard. Yeah. Um, where is home? <laughs> so, um, my <laughs> wife and I have a deal. Uh, that, that I can only say that home is where we live together, right? So home is London. Um, our, our house, our home, my wife's work and our son, um, and our daughter who's coming is, are all in London. And I have a, you know, Klatemusen headquarters is in Ore and that's, um, home for a different side of me. Um, and, uh, and a special place where I managed to find everything that I don't have in London. Um, and, uh, and then uh, Stockholm, which has become uh, a very interesting place for us also from a company perspective, really dynamic. And, uh, and so I'm in, in between, but I, I think Ore and London are probably, or London and Ore, would, I would have to say. But hey, I, I, I just thought of a thing that both London and Ore share. Poor weather and low visibility. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> Im- impossible to predict what weather will be yeah, the day. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Ore is a fascinating place that I uh, am still trying to figure trying to figure out. Um, and it has, I realize, it has very different uh, connotations for a Swede than it does for a for a non-Swede, right? Um, when I first arrived in Ore, it was November 2015. Um, it was cold and dark. Um, dark, like really dark, and darker than I had ever been. Like before the snow as well. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I remember thinking there's nothing nice about this place. Um, and that was the really honest to God, my first reaction. Um, and it grows on you. And, and, uh, that's nice. I, I think London is similar to in that way. It kind of has to grow on you, you know, because of course, as a tourist, you can have a fantastic, you know, weekend in the theaters or in the restaurants. 
but uh, if if it's if it's somewhere where you're actually going to spend time, you know, you actually need to have um, see the full picture. I think. But all it is, it's, it's, it's such a, it's a, it's a small community in a very small village, but it's still, because of course of the, the ski resort, it's, uh, it's still got kind of a, kind of a cosmopolitan vibe to it. Yeah. Uh, and not only because of tourists coming, but uh, they have the restaurants, they have the cafes and bars and so on. They yeah. had kind of a, a, another tradition that you would expect from a small mountain village in Sweden, I would, I would say. Yeah. What, so one of the things that surprises me even today about Ore is that everyone looks up. You know, no, nobody looks to to the, to the river, to the to the lake. So it's it's sort of um, it's strange because even in the summer, you know, now it's biking. But uh, you know, a few years there was not such a big um, biking um, community, and then you know, you just wanted to go kayaking or swimming or even running on the beach, you know, and and there is no such no such thing. Um, it's a, you know, Ore is, you know, I, I think Ore is almost um, a bit of a twilight zone um, <laughs> because it's, you know, it turns on and off, you know, and and that's strange, right? If you, um, if you live there and you have that sort of community and, you know, you know where things are and that routine and everything, but in my scenario where you're coming in and out, um it's um you know you're sort of always uh, you're almost feeling like you're in the wrong place at the wrong time and then people are you know don't really know what to make of you you don't really fit and it's become much younger much more sort of open to this type of um in the last two years i would say yeah, yeah mm-hmm. than it has before and i think that's been very welcomed yeah, there's a lot of things happening with the, uh, I mean, from the business side as well with the uh, house B, yeah. like the uh, the business hub over there. So it's uh, you got that perspective that 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 part's growing as well. Uh, so yeah, I like the. Um, I, I I'm very um, excited about the plans I've been hearing for Dubed as well. Oh um, yeah. Sort of expanding the sort of because Ore is you know we we talk about Ore commune I think right when we talk about Ore and so I the city itself is is as you said the mountain village but um, I think most of the people in our in our company live outside and mm. uh, you know live in the mountains and things and so um, Dubet is a fantastic place that I uh, also I, I I keep getting flashbacks to the first time I went. Um, in, no- in that November 2015, I was looking for a place to have l- uh, dinner. Um, and most of the restaurants were closed because the season wasn't open yet. So I was driving around uh, and I went to Dubet and there's a pizza place in Dubet. Um, and I came in and I was, you know, with a bit of my Latin charm, was trying to be funny. And I asked the uh, guy, oh, is this, is this, is this your pizza good? Uh, and he's like, oh, yeah, it's even people from Ore are coming here <laughs> to eat pizza. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I guess, you know, if people are driving for five minutes to eat here, it's it must be, be great. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> that's a good slogan for them to put over their door. Yeah. Even people from Ore. Uh, but you are not from London. You are not from Ore. Where 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 are you born and raised? I was born in Spain uh, from a Peruvian mother and a Spanish father, and we moved 
to Argentina when we were when I was about six. So, um, and I'm the oldest of three, so we all grew up. Um, you know that that move caught us at different ages. Um, but I spent most of my uh, young life in Argentina before going to university. But is it like was it like an urban life or on the countryside or apartment uh, or house or? It was very much an urban life. Yeah, we were based in downtown Buenos Aires. That's very urban. Very urban. Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. The, I think the nature comes from being very humid, very almost tropical. So you you get these incredible trees, um, incredible flora inside uh, sort of urban, and and the fact that the city you know was a. Uh, The, one of the most beautiful cities, you know, by World War II and hasn't been, you know, touched since. <laughs> so it's almost, you get, it, you, it has this contrast of, uh, old time machine type of, you know, but it's, it was very urban. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But, but you're, um, I mean, I think we all know what it's like to grow up for most, most people, of course, in Sweden with, a with, uh, Friluftsliv, like the Swedish outdoor uh, culture. But what was it like? How was your friluftsliv like? Your uh, your upbringing within when it comes to uh, spending time in the outdoors. We didn't have that. Uh, I I didn't have that at all. Uh, my parents were not very into outdoors. Um, in fact, they weren't even into summer holidays and beaches and things like that. So, you know, most of the nature growing up was the football pitch. I mean, that's sort of where you saw green uh, uh, or on the TV watching football. <laughs> um, no, it, it certainly isn't a part of life. Uh, it wasn't a part of life for me growing up. Um, occasionally, we tried to escape you know, with school uh, plans and do ski trips and things, but... Because uh, there is good skiing in Argentina, right? Yeah, there is. Piñatoras, what's it called? Yeah, uh, Bariloche, Las Leñas, there's a couple of good places in the Andes, and then there's actually better ones on the Chilean side. Actually. Okay. And, uh, yeah, and, and it's not uncommon uh, for people in Buenos Aires to, to ski. Um, but it's kind of a... Uh, I mean, compared to Sweden, it's of course it's it's a matter of class and social, like social class and, and economy, of course, in Sweden as well. But I think even more so, probably in Argentina, yeah. it's uh, more the the well, the people are the well off. They go skiing, yeah. I guess. I think for us, the apart from the fact that my parents were just not really, um, you know, had not been raised like that, I think we we being. Living in Argentina, but with family in Peru, with family in Spain, most of our holidays were basically visiting relatives, going back or mm. going for you know and 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 doing that. So it's been we we had a very social family. We did everything that um, you you know in the Philo Sleeves context that you're doing outside, um, but we were doing it you know in a, in a Latin context. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I think. Yeah, we didn't really appreciate. I certainly didn't appreciate the value of nature uh, growing up. But where did that come from? Did you have a? Did you dream of adventures? I think uh, all all young boys dream of adventures. Um, when it came time to go to university, um, I didn't want to stay in an urban environment. I don't know if that was conscious or subconscious, but 
Um, I purposely chose a university uh, in the U.S. I was in the Shenandoah Valley uh, in Virginia, sort of southern um, Virginia, and that was uh, the eye-opening, or was, let's say the first eye-opening. Um, and uh, it was beautiful, you know, picture your... Your, your beautiful wrecked bricks uh, type of U.S. university campus lost inside the Shenandoah Valley with with lots of students from Portland and uh, Washington State and and then you know that that became um, you know hey those guys are cool I and mean, they they go hiking they go kayaking you go tubing um, you know and that they do what tubing where you you go down the river uh, in this uh, tubes it's like tires. No, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So you grab a six pack of beer uh, and you sit on <laughs> you top float. of the tube and then just float down. Float and get drunk. Drink, drinking beers, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there was perhaps, you know, as university years are, everything is exciting, everything is. Yeah. Um, uh, so that was a romantic experience. But then, you know, the, then you graduate university and you have to get a job and somehow. That uh, romanticism fades away into, you know, you never have time. And so I lost that, yeah. I must say, after mm-hmm. university when I went into um, my career. But what was the, what was your career plan? What did you envision yourself like 10 years from, from university? I what was your major and stuff? Yeah, I had a, I had a, a business administration major. Um, liberal arts education so in the u.s you do two years where you're basically do everything from philosophy mathematics and then in the end you you'd go for something and i went for something practical which was business um, and then i graduated wanted to go for a year as a gap student and that was a fairly strange concept uh, coming out of the u.s that you know that's more of a european concept but i wanted to take a year um and the day before I was going to leave on a Eurorail train, um, I got a job offer in, in Spain, in Madrid, to work, work for an investment bank. And uh, I had to make a choice. You know, do you go for this you know, uh, gap year or... Um, and I chose the job, actually. So I stopped all my plans and uh, ended up sitting you know the day after in a desk um, selling your soul selling my soul let's say yeah <laughs> um a mix of you know wanting to you know um prove yourself you know you graduate from university everyone has a job you don't have a job so, mm. um and i uh, yeah so i i pulled the trigger and um since then i think that's you know that that sort of has driven a little bit of the thinking we have, you know, I have to do something to set the record straight, right? Um, I didn't last so long in, in investment banking, a couple of years. Um, and uh, I quickly started looking and thinking about um, the environment. You know, my first job after investment banking was uh, developer developing photovoltaic parks, doing, uh, so sol- doing what? solar energy. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we had... Um, we we and a few friends had gotten together and project managed the development of two fifty megawatts f- solar parks in the southwest of Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a little bit of you know, that mentality as well. Let's 
you start, you know, it's the same thing that ties you to nature. Like, why, or why are we here? You know, what is there, you know, what are we supposed to be doing with our time, right? Like the, the sustainability mindset has always been, or maybe not always, but it has been present with you for a long time. I think the sense of responsibility, and mm -hmm. uh, that maybe that, that's always come in first. Uh, maybe it's from being an older sibling or from sort of being a bit, you know, uh, multicultural or, There's definitely always has been a sense of, okay, why, let's do the best we can. Let's do something that is not just the basics. Um, and, um, and, and, and I think being in investment banking, especially, I uh, think you, you, that, that, you know, you, 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 that can't, that can either dumb down that feeling or it can actually make it come out mm. to the surface. Right? It's kind of a investment banking and that kind of raw sense of capitalism is kind of a untamed force sort of so you can of course you can make it work for you in the sense that you can you can summon the energy from it and do good mm. but that's not always the case i guess i i mean i i have um um my 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 point of view on on investment banking is that it's um you know it's a fantastic um platform to to learn and and to you know as you graduate you 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 go into the workforce you know you have no idea right and and so investment banking is a f it's a place that has enough structure you know it's project based so you're in and out and you're learning and it's a a hierarchical system of mentorship as well so you know the MD mentors the VP who mentors the associate and there's an easy progression you know you know it's very it's very performance based right if you if you're good at your job you advance and it's a meritocracy and you know it attracts very intelligent people yeah. so it's a very stimulating mm. intellectually very stimulating place to work K kind of problem solution and everything yeah. so it's very right um and that that's quite good uh to a certain extent then you know then it's very project based so you start you stop you start you stop if you're somebody who's thinking long term or who likes the problem but then actually also likes implementing the solution mm -hmm. then that 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 cycle is too short for you okay okay yeah um and that's that's what happened in my case uh, and and some of my friends who started together you know we started together they're still there and they are been very successful um and um you know and, and other people like myself realized that that was a great place to start and then launch from And I guess it's it's got to be extremely interesting to to really get kind of a, a helicopter perspective of how business is made, what kind of makes up the economic system that we live in. Yeah. It's got to be very interesting to, to have a. Uh, yeah, absolutely, I agree. Overlook the flows and everything. A few years later, when I was actually going to business school, <clears throat> I asked my old boss. Um, <clears throat> an investment bank into write me a recommendation and his uh, his question was like why do you want to do business school why do you want to go to business school i said well i you know i realized that i have no idea about business <laughs> so i want to learn um and yeah, his response was i if you want to learn business you have to do business yeah <laughs> you, you can just mm. um and i i think that's true mm. uh, it's applying a lot of these things whether you've learned concepts about finance or about strategy or about you actually have you know have to apply them and when you come into at that stage i think it's really valuable yeah. but but 
was it here in Spain that you, and like you said, when you when you uh, project led the the solar 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 park, uh, was that when you started connecting, uh, like what you want to work with with a sense of responsibility? Like I want to do good things, not only do things, but I want to do good things. Actually, I I think it was. Um I think that came one step later. Uh, I think at this point I was very clear that I wanted to do something different, that I wanted to do something by myself, right? That I was... Like build something. Yeah, mm. exactly. It was, you know, now we're calling it entrepreneurial. Uh, it wasn't called that before. It was kamikaze, I think <laughs> was the word for it. Mm. But it, it was very much about... I, I think it was sort of the breaking point where, you know, I don't want to build a CV. Right? Um, I want to do things that are interesting and think more lateral and, and jump around. And solar, solar power was something I had no idea about, felt uh, appropriate and felt like something um, that I that will have a positive effect. Um, but at the same time, I was very interested in music and, and music was something that, um, you know, I was always been very passionate about. So I was trying to figure out ways in which to go <clears throat> to make that my job. <clears throat> uh, consuming music or also making music consuming and thinking about the business mm -hmm. model part of, mm -hmm. of music um and so we you know i started getting in, involved in a few projects with a few friends we were uh, trying to create uh, merchandise stores for bands on facebook we ended up after business school but we ended up <clears throat> launching a company out in asia so i went to business school in Uh, in, in a place called INSEAD, which has, uh, one, uh, campus in Fontainebleau in France and one campus in Singapore. And at the end of the program, I stayed in Asia and worked with, partnered up with two guys, uh, to launch, um, media and entertainment company between Japan and China. And the idea was there's all this incredible music, um, and music rights in Europe and in the US. How do we get those localized and in, you know, more and more so into, into Japan and China beyond the, you know, the standard way of the record labels or the film studios, right? How do you do things more exciting? Um, and that was really, that was actually quite a lot of fun. It was, mm. um, the most intense job I've ever had in my life. Um, the industry is very intense, but also, you know, working life in, you know, in, in Japan and China is very, very intense. Mm. And I think that was, you know, four years of that. I was, we were, you know, three partners, as I said. I was a junior partner. The, my other two, Rick and John, were very much, you know, had much more experience than I had, more, much more senior. So I so was. So you were always trying to catch up. I was the operations. Yeah. I was hands on behind the curtain. <laughs> um, you know, and that meant Monday to Sunday, you know, lunches and dinners and mornings and all the time. Um, I think that four years of that, You know, we, we took a, you know, business that we started with three to 350 people. Uh, that was what at the end of it was the, the catalyst. It's like, okay. Enough this, of this. Yeah. This cannot go. This cannot be the way. <laughs> Did you know that I used to live in Shanghai? No, I didn't know that. It was a long time ago though. I studied there for one year, like, uh, early 2000s. Okay. Yeah. Early 2000s. So, uh, so a long time ago, like almost. 20 years ago. Were, were you in Jiaotong? Right? No, Hua okay. Shida. 
Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I did a summer in Jiaotong. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. We, we had a place at uh, uh, Zhongshan Park. Okay. Zhongshan Gongyuan. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was in the 2000s, that seemed to be the uh, Lao Wai. Uh, yeah, area, yeah, right? a lot of uh, expats and a lot of exchange students kept yeah. coming, and it was still. I mean, I've returned, uh, been traveling quite a lot in China, but, um, like the years after that. And, uh, uh, I don't think I would recognize, well, of course, I would recognize like French, French concessions and the Bund. But apart from that, I don't think I would recognize Shanghai, but it's, uh, it's a happening place for good or worse. And, uh, I do not regret my time there. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I don't feel the urge to go back at all. <laughs> yeah, I had, um, I, yeah, I think like you. Uh, actually, Sarah, who's our uh, production manager at Clatmus, and she was also living in Shanghai for a period. We just overlapped when I, oh, we, if, I don't think we would have met, but, um, and we, we talk about this together a lot because it's a bittersweet feeling. Yeah. Um, super happening place, super exciting. Um, you know, at the same time, so, close you know even if you spend time there if you sort of you know speak the language get to know people you're very much you know it's very clear you're not from no. there so it's never welcoming but it's so happening that you mm. can get caught in that energy and feel very electric about yeah. it yeah. yeah and all the restaurants and cafes and street foods and everything it's um it's it's full of life for sure yeah but then again the traffic and the combustion like uh, congestion what do you call it the traffic yeah the, traffic congestion yeah congestion <laughs> and the pollution yeah. and no it was yeah, i was you know, talking about wearing masks now we, yeah. you know that was the first time i mm -hmm. was buying mm -hmm. masks and we mm -hmm. and i mean the first thing you did when i left was 2014 And uh, every morning, as you were making breakfast at home, you were checking the pollution app mm. to see if you're going to be able to bike or you're just going to try and take mm. a taxi. Um, yeah, in, in that sense, and the water you can't drink and you know, that quality of life is yeah, not something you miss. No. Uh, but did that because... You ended up leaving, of course, after those four years. So that, so exactly. But, but, but was that kind of the pendulum kind of yes. just struck the, like the opposite way? Like, okay, so now I need to, you know. Yes, that's exactly what happened. I, I you know. The, I, the, the transition from uh, downtown Shanghai to downtown Duverde. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When you say it that way, um, it, It was, it, it basically what happened was, um, you know, we had the opportunity to sell part of the company and, um, I didn't want to leave, but, um, my wife now, girlfriend at the time said, you know, you should look at yourself in the mirror and figure out if, who you want to be. Um, and so it was, it was fortuitous. I think it was not by me instigating it, um, but, You know, it was well timed because we, we, I definitely needed it. So we, we left Shanghai together on a one way ticket out. Um, and we spent a year without a phone, without a computer traveling. And that was 
my outdoor year. That's when I tried to catch up with normal sweets <laughs> in terms of uh, nature and outdoor experiences. Well, how were you able to travel without Instagram? <laughs> yeah, where did you stay? How did you find... Yeah, do you remember? And how did you tell everyone? You, that, yeah. Where did you post all your selfies? <laughs> I, uh, yeah, exactly. I, I, I was, it was so much fun. I, I mean, now that's, you know, that's a few years later, but you know, now I have a kid, you know, yeah, and it just seems so in, in inconceivable to travel yeah. so free. Hmm. Um, and of course, I, you know, at the end of it, I was itching to get hmm. to work or to do something, you know, you're like, but it was an amazing, an amazing year. Um, but, but how did you? I'm sorry, how, because because I, when I was traveling in within China, I, I've been as far west as you can go, like in south outside of Tibet, but Tibetan areas. And, yeah. and, and did you go like the land way, or did you like fly into like Nepal and stuff, or did you go like Central Asia at all? Or we did. We were for two months in Nepal. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually had a good friend from business school um, who was is from was Kathmandu and he's he was getting married so um, it coincided with him but we spent about a month and a half out in the mountains in the Arnapurna range um, then we went you know I had family in Peru so I wanted to do that and then we crossed from Peru to Bolivia and then from Bolivia to Chile and we did about two and a half months down there we didn't make it down to Patagonia but we were in you know, in the desert, in the jungle, in the mountains, like backpacking and tra- yep. and hiking and yeah, yeah. We were trying. We tried to use as much land transportation as possible. Try not to fly to too many places. Um, we had also uh, we had done a project, my, my girlfriend and I, where we, um, we I have a nun, uh, a, an aunt who's a nun in the mountains. Oh, really? Of, yeah, in the mountains of Peru. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a missionary nun, mm-hmm. um, and she had been telling me for a long time how it was very difficult for high school students to go in, to sort of advance to university in her community. So um, the idea that we had had while we were traveling in Nepal was, is there a way that we can assist, not just financially, but somehow mentor these kids in, in some way? So we spent some time with my aunt in her region in Cajamarca, in the mountains of Peru, with the community there. Um, and then from there we went, where did we go from there? Ah, then it was starting to be winter in Europe. So we actually spent about two and a half months in France, in the Alps. Um, and basically we, you know, we, we were trying to power up as much outdoor experiences as possible. But what did you find? What did you find, find in the activities? What did you find in the emotions and feelings and being cold and being warm, sweaty, tired? Like, uh, what, you know, what, what, what attracted you to it? Um, I was, you know, I, I was surprised, um, by how much gear there was. <laughs> right. I mean, now it sounds silly to be saying this, um, as the CEO of, a, of an outdoor brand, but, um, I, I really didn't know what to buy. And whenever, you know, I'm going into a store and we're about to go to Peru and Bolivia. And you go, and what are you looking for? Is it waterproof? Is it not? I, just, I found that, that experience very confusing. There's just so much stuff and, and, and it's not so clear and you can't really Google it and there's reviews. But, um, I found the, the customer experience very difficult, 
um, difficult. And then by contrast, I, I realized, you know, how important it was to have the right stuff. Because when you're there and, you know, we were in Nepal and you get cold or... I mean, a broken zipper in the wrong place. Yeah. I mean, that can be potentially a, a problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and you always like, <laughs> it is always contrasted, you know, in Nepal, especially where, you know, you have the Sherpas wearing sandals, you know, and then you're wearing these big things and then, you know, and then you donate everything at the end of the trip to, to them and... But um, but yeah, it is and it's incredibly important not just to keep you safe, but also to just make you feel like you're safe, right? Um, Don't underestimate that. <laughs> yeah, the feeling of yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, you know, I I am looking for adventures, trying to do things. I I thought first of all, I can't be the only person in this world, right? Um, I can't be. The, the one that's just been realizing that just has, has realized how important it is to balance stuff, right? Like what I was doing before isn't, wasn't sustainable. You have to find the right, the right balance for things. And when you, even if, you know, even if you have some of a balance, looking out for these kind of experiences, you know, it is you know, more and more people are doing that. So, um, I thought, you know, there must be a trend here. Must be interesting, right? It must be more people who are trying to, to, um, to do what I've just realized that I should have been doing many years ago. And at the same time, there's, there, you know, the industry itself was a bit of a puzzle, right? Um, I actually did go that year. I went to ISPO, uh, as a visitor. Um, and I just remember thinking that, you know, all these brands that are, you know, when you're going into a store in Kathmandu or something, or you see a mountain guide, you, you, you immediately put all these brands in such a high pedestal. Um, when you see them side by side in Ispo, you realize that they're all pretty much the same. <laughs> um, so it's a bit disenchanting. Um, and I, I thought, okay, so if we've got a customer journey that I just did as, as an ignorant customer trying to figure out what to buy, and at the same time, you have an industry that's doing all these things and all this. There's something not working properly, right? Um, I always say that, you know, it's like the industry, you know, every brand, every single brand of outdoor, um, is spending so much time and energy developing products. There's so much R and D. But when it comes to the store as a customer, it's like just another, you know, H and M t-shirt. Every, you know, in the next season is another color and then another color. It's like we're making new iPhone versions every, you know, twice a year, but then we are selling them as H&M t-shirts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I thought that was an interesting challenge, an interesting problem to try and figure out. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Have you, had you then decided that I want to work within the outer industry somehow? Yeah. Mm. I had started thinking about it from, um, you know, the same drive that took me to work in the music industry mm. um, or sort of in the solar industry, right? Mm. Okay, here's an industry, here's things, but I don't have a CV that's going to get me a job. Mm. So let's try and think about a creative way to get into this industry. Mm. How can I fool the right people? That yeah, exactly. <laughs> How can I fake my way exactly. into... Classic. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> and I, I admire that even now when we have candidates applying for jobs and things because <laughs> it's like, look, I have no idea. I've never been CEO. I've never been CEO of an outdoor company. Um, but here's what I do know. And here's how I think it applies and could be useful. Mm. Um, and don't trust me. Let me prove it. Mm. Right. Um, and I think that attitude is actually quite important. But what did you think of like Sweden and Scandinavia before, um, of course, before coming here and before like, and 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 did uh, connected to that. I mean, Klettermusen. I mean, it's not the uh, the obvious big Scandinavian brand. I think no. I mean, uh, how, how did you go about like finding Klettermusen? I mean, <clears throat> I can tell you what I thought about Sweden before. Um, actually, I I had a Swedish friend in um, in high school. We had, there was a family of Swedes um, living in Buenos Aires. Um, and he was usually drunk. Um, and he was sort of like the, the, the one in our group of friends who drank the most. So, um, I had a, a little bit of a vision of sweets just being <laughs> complete party animals, which is not right. Um, but the, in, in the case of the, the outdoor industry, um, it was very, you know, what I did was, um, something I, you know, I had done when I met uh, my two partners in Asia, I basically started calling brands and, call, you know, and so I had met some in Ispo, I had seen some in Ispo, um, and then I just started, I picked up the phone and called. And one of the calls was to Clytemus. And I, my idea, and now when I look back at sort of the plans that I had made for myself six years ago, um, was to find a small enough brand that can be molded, uh, right? That isn't quite stuck in the same business model, um, but a strong enough brand that can support it. Um, and I think, you know, of all the brands and all the owners and CEOs that I spoke to um, in my core calls, um, I think Clatimusen stood out by far. Mm -hmm. um, and it was fortuitous. Did, but did you see it as kind of an uncut gem, sort of? It's, uh, yeah, absolutely. Mm. I mean, it's a 45 year old brand. Um, 
you know, with a heritage uh, on product development and product making and sustainable thinking on the fabrics um, and such a quirkiness, such a, you know, you know, it, it sort of represented for me as a foreigner coming to Sweden, it represented everything that Sweden was, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's non-commercial, it's performance, you know, no compromises, it's stubbornness, it sort of stands for, um, you know, it, it's something that you can rely on, it lasts a long time, the, and uh, no one has heard of it, and that's it's okay. The, it's the Anders Tegnell of outdoor brands. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's the uh, you know it's 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 quintessentially Swedish, yeah. but but is it because you can also I can also if 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 I were to explain Kletemus and it's also a brand that's very, uh, but now I'm I'm talking about the appearance for instance yeah. it's it's very uh, it's got a very peculiar style yeah you can you can it's I would say it's the brand that you can. Of course, I'm a nerd. So, but you can often, like, from a distance, you can see. Okay, so that's yes. a Kletemusen bag, for instance. Yeah. And and you have a special aesthetic and a, a kind of a special technique, kind of a special platform for everything. Uh, so it's so yes, I understand what you mean. Like it's 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 a typical Swedish, but then again, it's kind of because it's not linear. Yep. If you understand what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it takes. Um, it took me longer than I expected to understand that. Yeah. Actually, if mm. I have to be honest, um, what what I saw in Kletemusen before is product development, one hundred and fifty percent, right? Um, and that's you know our our design production team. I mean, they are they're, It's really a product development machine that starts with the fabric. You know, that's then says, okay, if we want to make something with this fabric, uh, what can we make, right? And so, and then, you know, how can we make sure that that fabric is bringing something new, innovative from a sustainability, from a durability, from a function, then from the product, okay, how can the product then provide something also new, whether it's the construction or the function or the usage? Um, and then putting that, those two, are, those are very strong pillars, right? So, in order to have those two pillars supported, you need a third strong pillar, and that is the Klatmusen aesthetic. Right? That's what sort of makes the whole package come together, because you can have something that's very sustainable, uh, or you can have something that's very functional, but in order to have both of those, then you need to give that something that really stands out. There's maximum safety for you, minimum impact on nature. So um, I, I like the fact that our aesthetic is something that blends those two things together mm. in a very distinct way. And we we have a, a philosophy that, you know, that in, in, as a matter of fact, you need to hide, if you hide the logo, it should still look like a Klaatu Museum. Yeah. Right? And it does. Yeah. 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 And it, just the name, I, I mean, the rumor has it that uh, the founder, Pieter Askolb, he, he just chose a name that didn't sound cool. Yeah. And that and that is the mindset of us. I think every person that is working at Kletemusen now is a little bit of an underdog, right? It's sort of a bit of a, you know, tongue-in-cheek. You know, we don't... You shouldn't take ourselves too serious. You know, the, the name doesn't need to sound 
intense, you know, mountainous or like North Face, yeah, peak, <laughs> uh, peak performance. Yeah, it, you know, it, you can, you know, it, the, I like the fact, you know, I didn't choose the, na the name. Um, I would never change it because I think it's perfect. Um, but it's, it should be not about the name, but all about the name. You know, if that makes sense. You know, you, you need, you know, it's not about the product, but it's only about the product. And, and I think that philosophy for our core customers, they get that immediately. Mm. And for our new customers, when you, when you touch the product, you know, that's when you understand. But what, what was your, like, how did you go about, like, um, what was your initial plan for Kletemusen? And how did you, because yeah. you were in contact with them and then you kind of, applied for the position or did you just uh, actually i was in touch with the peter and i thought um i told him look i love what you're with the brand what you're doing and my pitch was very simple hey you're a great outdoor swedish guy and you work with the products i'm not great nor outdoor not swedish <laughs> but i'm uh you know i i know about business and asia and i've done that so perhaps we could find a way I, I, what I, what I really wanted to do and we're still doing at Kletmusen is how can we figure out, how can we attract a customer that isn't your traditional outdoor hmm. customer? Not because those customers are not important, but because that customer might not know it's, you know, a customer might not know it's a traditional outdoor customer. And, uh, and you know, there's customers that care about the function and then there's customers that care about looking great. And then there's customers that care about feeling like they look great. Mm -hmm. So um, those are different touch points. And I thought um, a, a brand like Let Musen that was so product specific, so product focused, um, was missing the bridge. Right. So I said I can I could bring that. I think, or I could try and figure it out at least. Um, and I said, okay, that sounds great. But actually, you know, he he was already eyeing retirement. Um, then that came up at the right time and we sort of, you know, he's still involved uh, a little bit. Um, and, uh, me and the new generation of people at Klatmusen sort of took the reins about five years ago, four and a half years ago with, and, and the vision was very simple. Uh, we said we want to do exactly what we're doing, but we want to be able to do it for the next 45 years. Right. Mm. So it means not doing exactly what we're doing. So, but we've been There's trying some buttons to be turned kind of. Exactly. Being respectful, being, you know, clear what we, what we are, what we're not, but at the same time, not being afraid of trying new things. You know, we're doing, you know, for this autumn, winter 20 season for the first time, ski wear, like ski mountaineering, which was even using the word ski for us was very scary right? um, how come well we we've always i think we've always seen ourselves as nordic mountaineers right? and that was you know, perhaps you were assisted by skis but it was very much in a horizontal mm. way you know we said the nordic mountaineer goes to the mountain around the mountain and back from <laughs> the mountain right? mm -hmm. um, and then using a ski you know was really more the the ski collection is really like okay can we use these fabrics and this mindset of a Nordic mountaineering where you are basically out for 10 days? Um, but can we use it also to work in an environment where you're going up and you're going down with skis, right? Not just up 
ice climbing. We had done that. Um, but down with skis. Um, and we had to draw, we had to be very clear where the line was drawn between, okay, this is not for the ski piste. You know, this is not for the, the, the ski system. This is for when you're skinning up, going over and over and over again. Um, and that w- it worked, but it was very, it's very, it, it's intimidating when you haven't done it before. Mm. Um, but this, of course, that is what we're talking about now, like the balance between renewing and managing the, a legacy, of course. But, um, like, what was the, uh, what is the reactions from the uh, true believers, long-time customers? Like, um, have you scared anyone off? Have you received any angry letters? Mm, no. Nah. <laughs> You want the real answer? <laughs> I think we have for sure. Yeah, I. I mean, we we went through a phase where we thought we were shooting straight, but we weren't. Um, and customers felt it. Some customers felt it. I'd say we felt it ourselves. But we were also not, you know, creating a brand, uh, developing products. It requires as much maturity as it does confidence. Right. And if you're, you know, if you don't have those two things, then it shows, uh, it shows in the communication, it shows in the product. Um, and you know, we are a 45 year old brand, but we're a four year old company. I mean, we are a startup in many ways. Right. So, um, we thought we were doing something right. We weren't. We fixed it. Um, but in those, you know, in those time, you know, the time gap between that is, is painful, uh, painful for our customers. And, you know, if, you know, if it's painful for them, it's triple painful for us to, to see, right? Mm-hmm. For a brand like us that has such a almost cult following, uh, of people, you never want to disappoint anybody. But, but also you can't operate starting off by not wanting to piss off people all right so yeah it happened sorry mm-hmm. if you're hearing this uh if you're listening to this um <laughs> I, I i'm sorry please come back yeah please come back <laughs> exactly but uh yeah but also i'm not um i don't regret it i think it was important for us as a team i should say and i mean as with almost everything i mean in culture or whatever i mean everything is in a constant state of progression yeah so deal with it yeah sort of i i also think that it's um you know something that we learned more and more um uh, is you know how can we bring be closer to the customer without being too close to the customer right um and what i mean by that is we are We're creating equipment to enable people to go out and, and, and live their adventures, you know, see through their expeditions or, um, and so that requires us to know a little bit better than you, what you're going to need or what you might need and so that you're prepared. Um, but at the same time, and that's something that has happened many times and it certainly has happened at Klatomusen is we just over engineer it, you know, and, and then we're, We're almost like we're sitting a little bit in an ivory tower. Yeah. Think like we know best. Mm. Um, and, and that's not right either. I mean, I've seen, I've seen, uh, for instance, like your bigger, 
like backpacks, like the big ones. And I mean, looking at them and trying them, sometimes it's like, okay, so I'm going to need a manual for this. Yeah. Uh, you see all these probably very smart solutions and small straps and everything. And it's like, okay, okay. It's, it's not like your traditional Swedish backpack. No. Yeah. Everything that we, everything that exactly. And I, that, that's exactly the point. Everything that we do might be amazing, but if we haven't been able to explain it to you, then we failed. Mm. And that, that's sort of the biggest things we are working on now. Like, okay, it is about pushing the fabrics into new, new directions, but it's also about bringing the customer along because if we can do great things in the lab, um, but the customer isn't following it or it doesn't understand or then it doesn't matter. Right. So that's, that's always a bit the, the, the two phase of a, of a product development heavy mm. company like Latmusum. And of course, I mean, a lot of your products, like for instance, the backpack, I mean, you don't buy a, a new 80 liter backpack every year. I mean, you buy no, hopefully you one yeah. time and then you keep it for at least 10 years or something. Yeah. So, uh, you have to be, uh, you have to, to really convince, uh, that potential customer that this is the one you want we, this will exactly with the collection we have today like for autumn winter 20 the collection that's in the shops we won four ispo gold awards so we more more awards by industry by a panel of industry judges than any other brand which is a huge achievement so we were very happy about it um but that is only part of the equation now we need to you know it's great that our peers think that this is great products can we make sure that it fits the customer needs today or if it doesn't can we make sure that we start to educate them on that journey um and that's that's a challenge and and you know and, and we're working on i think all the brands are working on it but it's um especially difficult in the hardware you know when you're talking about backpacks yeah because it's there's a lot of room for innovation but you can innovate yourself silly. Exactly. I mean, that's actually one of my questions. Like, like how, you know, to some extent, you know, after a while, it seems almost silly. Like all the brands are trying to, to show off, like, uh, like honestly, like how many times can you reinvent the jacket, the shell yeah. jacket, yeah. the material, the backpack? Whatever. I mean, yeah, I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Of course, you can make it lighter. Uh, the technolo- technology allows you to to create thinner fabric with more durability. Of course, I understand that. And but then again, it's like it's not it's not rocket science. I mean, it's not. It's very easy. You know, it's it's much easier. Let's say uh, I found in the last few years that it's much easier to um, to say, oh, you know, we need this in another color. We need this with a hood. We need this without a hood. We need this in a vest. Um, you know. That's relatively easy. Uh, what's very difficult is to say, okay, we need to educate this. It's going to take time. Um, you know, until we have created the demand, then there's no point pushing out products or creating variants of the products. Um, and it, it's a difficult thing to do because we're, uh, w- you know, the whole industry somehow accidentally or over time been stuck in a bit of a fast moving consumer goods model. So it just feels like you have to keep feeding and keep feeding and keep feeding. 
Um, and no one's going to be the first one to step out because that, you know, but I actually think talking, going back to COVID and, and the, the impact of this, I, I think this has been positive. I think we're going to see more carryovers. We're going to mm. see more colors that aren't seasonal. Um, and, and that's going to make everyone's life a little bit easier. Uh, we've been talking about your customer or your customers, uh, describe a, a typical Klettermessen customer. Hmm. Um, good question. Uh, I think I would like to think that both you and I are typical customers. You know, the, the, the customer we have today. Super extreme, very successful. Great looking. Great looking. Funny. Yeah. Insanely um, rich. <laughs> insanely, insanely everything above. <laughs> um, no, I, I think if, you know, if you asked Ida, our marketing manager, she would give you a very clear one page profile of who that customer is. Um, but it, it is a moving target. Uh, I think there's the, the customers that have known Clatimus and much longer than me that would know products that, you know, better than me. Um, uh, and, and they are there for sure. And, and, and then there's customers like, you know, yourself or I, you know, who are not living necessarily in nature all the time, but it's, you know, that's, you know, it's an aspirational customer. It's also an inspirational customer and it's a functional customer. And if you put the three things together in a person, they're very much a Clatimism customer. Yeah. Uh, and then again, it's interesting with, with a brand such as Clatimism because You like you don't always get to choose your customer, do you? I mean, because you also, I mean, you have, uh, you make stuff for people that aspire to do great things within nature, like uh, expeditions and whatnot. But you can also go down to Nitty Gritty yeah. on Södermalm, which is a very, uh, I don't know, very. Uh, Streetwise, like a uh, uh, fashionable boutique, yeah. and you can buy clitoris. And you see, like hipster kids, I guess, probably in Tokyo and London, wearing clitoris. So, so how did that go about? I, uh, I think, yeah. Um, and uh, is that yeah. always? Is that? I'm interrupting you, but but is that always a good thing? I mean, could it be a bit problematic to have to cater for two? In many ways, very different types of people. My my opinion, my personal view on this is that if you are not changing how you think about the product, right? So if the product development ethos, philosophy, methodology is consistent, um, whoever is buying the product, whoever you are targeting to, you know, you you, you can, you know, is a customer. Right. Let's start with that. Um, then, you know, the question is, why are they buying the product? You know, are they buying it because they really want to be warm when it's minus 30 degrees? Or are they buying it because they like the color? Or are they buying it because it was, you know, in the nitty-gritty store next to Conde Garçons? Um, that's really a different question. But but fundamentally, like, you know, it we... Don't have a problem with seeing. I don't have a problem with seeing one of our athlete jackets uh, when someone wearing the dog uh, get taking the dog out for a walk, uh, or seeing it hanging in a, you know, in, in a in, in Svalbard. In, 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 so it doesn't. Um, it, it's not a problem at all. Um, you know, if, if you start talking about, oh, what do you do 
shoots or campaigns or I think we we always want to make sure that we're inspiring the core customer who's going to use it when they go out in the exp- expeditions um, but it, it also you know the reality is that not everyone has that life right so you, you cannot just make it intimidating for everyone else you have to make it inspirational so that you can get people out there and 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 really take the product out um so we we strike we try to strike balances um and today you know people are you know some people are called hipsters some people are you know but in in reality you know if you're going into nitty-gritty store what what i think that customer is looking for is a something that looks different something that feels different and something that is really authentic Um, and i think that those are very much the same Hmm. things that our core customer looks for um so so the design team in order they mainly look out the window at the mountain when they design a new product they don't look at what the fashion bloggers in la or tokyo are no yeah absolutely Mm. no no we don't that's not, I mean, that's not who we design for. You know, that's not who we develop for. Absolutely not. Um, it wouldn't be a Klettermusen product if it was, you know, to be used in downtown anywhere, mm. even in downtown Ore. The, 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 the product development team, the designers, the production, and, and certainly our testers, you know, they are the ones that are in charge of making the product. You're like, uh, I don't know if this comparison will fly at all, but you're like, uh, I don't know any names of them, but you're like a, a, a shoemaker in some fancy street in London that makes the same type of leather shoe, like from generation to generation. But yeah. all of a sudden, rich hipster kids decides that okay so this is cool now yep. but but they didn't make them for them they made them for like old men to wear in to wear with suits but all of a sudden that's in fashion yeah absolutely yeah i i, I think what what then you know what nitty-gritty and that kind of customer likes is that we aren't cool this we are not a cool brand um but but you know when you look at the outdoor brands we are also you know, we're like the brand that isn't a brand, right? So it sort of feels a little bit as it has always been intended. I think it, it feels authentically different. Mm. Um, and uh, it's, I guess maybe it's it's kind of adds to the uh, mystique. It kind of alludes you. Yeah, like it's 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 a bit more difficult to kind of frame in. We um we say that you know we you know you should find Kletmusen you shouldn't find Kletmusen everywhere uh, you know you, you should find Kletmusen in the right place right so you know you're in the right place if, if it's there and our customer is also you know not everyone is our is our target customer you know we're looking for you know I remember in the old days when you had a Mini Cooper you know if you had a Mini Cooper and you saw another one you hung <laughs> yeah and that's a little bit like that if, whenever I. I bump into someone wearing Kletmusen, it's, you know, you kind of wink. You do the secret signal. Yeah, exactly. It's a secret handshake. <laughs> um, um, but, but I mean, why do you think, I mean, even before, before Corona, the outdoor, at least from a Swedish perspective, like outdoor activities, hiking and, and you know, heading to the mountains, it, it was already a thing. 
and it's uh, kind of exponentially uh, uh, gains momentum. Yeah. Uh, after Corona, for obvious reasons. Uh, but but the fashion industry, like high fashion, has been for the, I don't know the last five years or something, more and more gravitating to the outdoor scene, like uh, French, like uh, high fashion brands making kind of hiking outerwear shoes and, and yeah. outerwear and so on. Why do you think that is? Um, my opinion uh, is that the fashion brands, as you said, the luxury brands, are very good at listening to customers. You know, they you know we call it trend seeking or things, but they fundamentally they have their ear to the ground much more than we do as an outdoor. It's a little bit easier for them, so I'll I'll, I'll sort of give ourselves as outdoor brands more credit, but um, it's easier for them because they don't have to think about function. Right, so it's more it's more of an aesthetics to start with. So then it's like, okay, well, what are people doing? How are they? You know, what are kids doing these days? How are they acting? How do they? What what are they? And and nature has become more and more, and outdoor has become more and more of a trend, and they've been spotting that and trying to cater to it. Um, and uh, and then you know, in the meantime, we have been doing the same thing, you know, consistently doing the same thing from an outdoor brand's perspective, and um. Yeah, uh, but and and I I think that's good for from our perspective um, that, that that fashion brands are doing it. It's, um, for example, we have a challenge that uh, is um, really annoying that when we're working on a new fabric and you know, we 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 co-developed this bio-based nylon with a fabric supplier in Japan, and we wanted to implement it in all of our down jackets. So we. We developed it together and said we can make a nylon, so we can make a synthetic material, bio-based. So we're not talking about recycled you know, fishing nets, etc. This is like we're going to make synthetic materials with the best functionality, but we're going to make it from bio sources. Um, and we could do it 100% bio-based, but it was incredibly expensive based on our minimums, right, on the quantities we needed. So we said, okay, let's start with 60%. And we we thought together with the fabric suppliers, if we can launch this into the market together, we can push it to the products and then and 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 prove it. Then more and more people are going to take on it, right? More brands will use it. But in a way, it's it was very disappointing to see that the outdoor brands, even the most you know recognized as sustainable brands, struggled to do that. And instead, what we've seen recently is that it's this fashion brands. Yeah that start to put their volumes and their muscle behind and help develop some of these bio-based mm. sources. Because it's not just outdoor, it's also sustainability that's taking a whole new energy within the industry, right? And that's encouraging, very much so, mm. yeah. Mm. Speaking of sustainability, what does being sustainable mean to Kleftemusen as a brand? Like from the beginning, from early on to today and into the future. But I mean, I must say I hate that word um, <laughs> because it's so, yeah, it's so annoying. It's so frustrating, that word, uh, in, to me. It's um, How come? Maybe because everybody uses it, you know. I, I mean, it's it's like everyone's talking about a movie, then I don't want to watch the movie anymore. It, it's not, we are not sustainable, Right. We are not sustainable. Um, we are a brand that's making 
products. Uh, and we are making textiles and we have backpacks and we have equipment. We call it equipment. We treat it as products and, and equipment. We develop it very carefully, but we are having a negative impact on the planet, no matter how hard we try, right? So what we try and do is not to think about sustainability, trying to make things last. You know, we are, we're trying to, every product needs to be thought through as like, okay, can this last, right? Um, and then we hope for the best. Um, and we try to evolve things. So as I said, the bio-based fabric is okay. We, we still want to have the functionality of a nylon and we're going to, if we use the nylon, it's going to last longer. So can we then just make that from a bio-based source instead of you know, that kind of mentality? So for us, it comes at a, at a, at an initial product development point. Okay. How, if we're going to, if we're going to go through the whole domino effect, how can we make sure that it doesn't start in, you know, that it starts in the best possible way? Um, and then at the end, how can we make sure it lasts as long as possible? Like, can we, can it be carry over for next seasons? Can we have a good, good colors and things like that? We do our best, but we are not sustainable, you know, and, and, and that's, um, you know, going, going back to your question earlier about the customer and the core customer, like you, you just, you want to be respectful and you want to be sustainable, but you also need to, un, you know, you need to have room to operate, right? And sometimes when you say like, are you sustainable? Um, or not, it's like, well, I'm not, but I'm in the progress. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, I'm in the process of being in this area and in this area and in this area. We, we track those things, we, you know, from a company perspective. Um, but we are not perfect and, uh, and we're not sustainable and I'm not sustainable myself. I mean, I, I, um, so we have a long way to go. And it's just the reason I hate the word, I think, is because it's not, it's not a fair word. For people uh, who are trying to do their best, you mean you, it's easy to fool a customer? That's not very yeah to to misguide a customer, yeah, exactly. yeah like it, greenwash. Yeah, like you, you put a you put a fancy tag on the jacket where it says blah 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 green this and green that, and then it's we do every product in our collection is with the same mentality around sustainability, and and many other brands do, and many other brands don't, and the ones that don't take the one product or the one capsule collection that is very sustainable and put a lot of PR around it because the balloon effect of that, mm. the mushroom effect is that everything else gets a little bit of it. And, uh, and it, it's fantastic because the more in one way I, I, I admire it because you know, the more you do that, the more the consumer will become knowledgeable about mm. it. But on the other hand, it's, uh, it's very different than our approach. So. You know, I think both. And I guess w w one one problem is that it's no. I mean, uh, honestly, like any brand can say whatever they want. Like this is mm -hmm, just make up some numbers and fancy names. But if they are caught with a lie, like if if people uh, want to look them up and find out that wait a minute, this is not. I mean, you're lying. There is no kind of punishment for them the punishment yeah. could be uh kind of a backlash in social media and i mean we all see what's happening with oatly now these days for instance yeah, yeah. like uh customers losing losing faith and and, and deciding to go for other brands but apart from that it's it's kind of it's kind of a yeah. uh, low risk to kind of fool customers 
yeah. uh, telling everyone that they're sustainable. Yeah, do you know what? Uh, probably one of our biggest struggles, um, I wouldn't say maybe one of our biggest struggles, but a struggle that we have is that a lot of the organizations that certify things like fabrics, and, and it, a lot of times are they themselves are two steps behind. Yeah. So, you know, we could say, for example, the whole collection is using God-certified fabrics. But actually that in itself is not so sustainable from what we could achieve if we don't. So then you kind of, as a brand, you have to make a choice. Are you going to use those third-party certifications to make everything easy, you know, or are you going to go your own way and develop something? And then even if it's not got certified, yeah. And, uh, and, and then you have to choose how much you can push. And, mm-hmm. but I, we're all, all, all brands are in different phases of development let's say uh, and therefore you can do different different things i think if, if we were 10 times the size we are now um we might find doing things we're doing now very challenging so i mean do you want to become 10 times the size tough question for you um yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think we are, we have a very ambitious plan uh, um, on where we want to go. And I think the market is there, or we are there, you know, our mindset is there. But I don't know if that's 10 times or, or, or more or less. But I think if, you know, that, that, an- that question sort of answers itself over time if you just keep doing the right things. Hmm. Um, that's how we see it. I think. Um, I mean, you've been working with different types of industries and now you work within the outdoor industry. Like, what's your, how would you describe the outdoor industry as a industry, if you know what I mean? Yeah. Is it, is it, is it different people that you meet these days compared to the ones you met in the music media industry compared to the investment banking industry? <laughs> the mentality, the, uh, jargon. The... I don't know if it's uh, different people. I think we are um, in the in the outdoor industry. You have very business minded people, and then you have very lifestyle minded people, right? Um, and same thing in the music industry. You have people who you know are there from for the passion of music, and then there's there who are mm. there because selling more. You know, uh, CDs is is better for the business. I think what's interesting in the outdoor business is that it's such a, as you say, it's such a passion, you know, industry that you, you know you have a lot of people who are very dedicated to the missions and really believe in the brands they work for. Right? I mean, they've become the brand needs to embody you in in an outdoor in order for you to really go for it. Yeah. So I um I've made a point to always try to bring people into Klatemusen who come from other industries, uh, not from other brands. Not because uh, I don't admire um, or respect other brands, because I want I want that sort of um, exchange of ideas and, and sort of questioning and sort of trying things. Um, and it's difficult when within the industry, you know, so that maybe that's the right way to think about it or the way I think about it. Um, uh, it's it's uh, mid September as we record this, and it's uh, autumn is in the air, literally. 
and the changing of seasons. What what yeah. what do you think of the changing of seasons in Sweden, and and what do you what are you looking forward to at this point? Like winter is behind the corner. I, th- this is my favorite season in the year, especially in Sweden. In Norway now, it's starting to get yellow leaves, and um, um, it's an amazing season, very magical. Um, I'm hoping that we have a good winter, um, certainly for snow. I think the industry needs it. Uh, we, you know, the summer has been tough. We are not so much of a spring summer brand, but I know that the, you know a lot of our peers have struggled a lot of our customers have struggled i'm I'm really hoping that um you know we get the weather shines on us during the winter um and the customer also i think needs needs a a good and and me myself i have to say i'm dying to go on the snow um because you're a split border yeah yeah that's right um (laughs) it's a dying breed it's like being a (laughs) jedi Yeah. That's good. These are I'm not gonna the start droids. using that as well. Yeah. Are you a split yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> These are not the droids. But it's, I don't for. know. It's kind of a second coming. Yeah. Return of the, yeah. the Skywalker. Yeah. Uh, sort of split borders. I yeah. think there's some interesting stuff going on. It's a fantastic. I mean, nothing beats a good powder day on a board. Right. That's the thing. I mean, I've been, of course, over the years, more and more thinking of like, oh, I really should get back to skis and, and learn how to ski tour in skis. Yeah. But deep down, I know that even even though I would take that step, even though uh, I would master skis in some way, I know that that when the day comes that I'm I'm on top of a mountain or something and I'm skiing down, and if it's good. I know what I will think, and I will yes, think I, I really wish that I would have had my snowboard now, because it's uh, when it's good, it's good. A hundred percent. If you are, um, if you know, if you if you used to go ski touring um, on the split board, I think you've you learned to read the mountain so much better. Yeah, I mean the skier can always get out of something, but you gotta read the slopes. You gotta, yeah. and that that's not to be underestimated. No. And um, and it's also you know you don't have to transition you know all, so fast all the time. No. Like, Splitboard just like you know what it's more of an enjoyable. Yeah, experience. but that's that's really a, a, a good topic because it's um, for me. I've for the most times that I've been ski touring, I've been like the the one splitboarder in mm. a group of. Mm very good skiers yeah and that's not good for the self-confidence no. but it's a, if no. i should i should hang out more with other split borders because we share the same problems and strength yeah and another thing i've been that's last true. winter i oh no two winters ago i started um using my ski poles a bit more like uh, uh yeah. actually having them in my down. hands uh on some of the slopes it's uh yeah. sometimes it's uh helpful. It helps the um yeah it's uh i uh, to your point of like not being the only split border i i think there is there's there must be a a breakpoint quote out there like i don't think you can have too many split boards either (laughs) in in the same group so they start canceling out each other you kind of need to feel special maybe it's yeah maybe two or three max but it's like it's so annoying every time like 
if the 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 guide is a skier like 99 times out of 100 and they yeah. and they stop the group and like okay so where are we going next and okay so but if you would have stopped like 50 meters yeah in that direction instead it would have made my day a lot better because yeah. i could just yeah now yeah. i need to yeah you know what, they, what they're working on I, I know or i've heard is uh hard boots uh yeah, 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 and that yeah, yeah. for yeah. a snowboard or yeah. at least hard tips mm, um mm, mm. and that would make the mountaineering part you know putting on crampons and yeah, yeah. getting a little bit more mm, mm. up there that mm. would make it more enjoyable because mm, mm. that's the one thing i i feel that you know on the snowboard boots when you're going for a little bit of the the tougher you know climbs at the, at the summits and uh, it's you don't have quite the same grip no. uh, the same safety mm -hmm. but it's uh, like we said when it's good it's good and i mean and i must say like in in scandinavia you don't have to go into the other like you, you go to olesund and you go to the sunmore alps or you go and well even in, and in sweden too you have fantastic days thousand meters up And and thousand meters down and you know and that's a great day, mm -hmm. great day. Uh, you don't have you know, it's just yeah. And with good you know you can with good snow conditions you jump on the train you're there yeah. you're back. Mm. Um, Let's hope for many days like that this winter. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Thank you for for taking your time. And is there anything you would like to add? Gosh. Um, Do you have any Klatemusen, maybe? No. I used to have. I used to have a jacket. I bought it, like, uh, on a sale, like, okay. many years ago, like, ten years ago, something. Do you remember the name? <sighs> Or was it down It's, jacket? No, 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 no. It was a shell jacket. A um, uh, very simple, like, very classic Klatemusen one. And I had it, and I used it quite a lot for, like, three years. Hard shell. Hard shell, yeah. And it felt like bulletproof yeah. and i sold it secondhand and i think i got what i paid for it yeah. like uh, makes honestly me, that makes me happy to hear yeah it's probably the bread or something like that yeah one of those. because it and i really i'm not i'm not only saying this but the the material it was very tear resistant i had to change a zipper uh not the like the the, the main metal one. parts but the 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 zipper zipper. puller Yeah, the puller exactly. I had to change one of those, but but apart from that, I mean the the material it's it you know it didn't get a mark. It was very durable, very durable. Yeah, that's great. Mm. That's great to hear. I will. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't have any. I, that's a fantastic way to finish. I, I I'm gonna drop the mic. <laughs> See you later. Thank you. Have a good weekend. <laughs> Pleasure. Thank you. Husky is produced in cooperation with Naturkompaniet. The music is made by Joel Mull. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.